straight ahead. 35, 40, and Leonard's loose. Riley Leonard, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown Duke. Balboa in motion. They're going to hand to Moore. Reroutes, breaks the plane, touchdown Duke. Here's Leonard going to throw for the end zone. Hagens caught it. Touchdown Duke. Trying to find room. Spins back, steps through. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. Duke in front. Can we hear some music? Second straight week, the Duke Blue Devils fall all the way to the end, but unfortunately lose a heartbreaker. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside the returning Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and our producer, Justin Sykes. And fellas, if there was ever a game this season we wanted to win, it was this past Saturday against UNC. But before we dive deep into our thoughts on this game, first, Here's Coach Elko postgame. Obviously a great football game. Um, hats off to North Carolina. You know, they, they competed, they played hard, and, and at the end of the day, they made more plays than we did uh, and came away with the win. And so hats off to them and, and much respect to their program tonight and what they did. Um, thank you to everybody who came out. Uh, that was an amazing atmosphere for Duke football. Uh, you know, sorry we couldn't get it done. Um, certainly inspired our kids, though. Uh, and I thought we battled. I told our kids, you know, couldn't be more proud with the way we battled. Uh, we knew we were going to have to. We knew it was going to be that kind of game where we were just going to have to keep trying to make plays to keep up with them. Um, and I thought for the most part we did. And then, you know, the final, you know, the final sequence of plays on offense just was a killer, you know, and to push us back and turn that into a long field goal. And, you know, we just got to got to figure out a way to be better at that situation. Um, you know, we hit some lulls in the third quarter, but but aside from that, I thought our offense executed exactly how we needed to all night to give us a chance. Uh, and I thought our defensive kids battled. I mean, they battled against an extremely explosive, potent offense. And, um, you know, we were there. We were there and had a chance to win, and we just didn't make the play at the end to get it done. And so um, we'll go back to work and, and get ourselves ready and go down to Miami and, and play the next game. And again, Coach Elko with his thoughts right after the heartbreaking 38-35 to loss to UNC. And, fellas, another classic. I hate to say it in a bad way in the fact that we didn't come out the victors. But to the victors go the spoils. Kudos to UNC. They fought hard. They fought for the entire game. But Duke did as well. Uh, I think there was a point in the game to where we thought Duke was out of it. They came back. Not only did they come back, but they took the lead. We honestly thought that we were going to be up 11 with almost, I think it was two and a half minutes left to seal the game. But some questionable calls came into play. I don't know if we'll talk about uh, the zebras on the field, but let's uh, let's get everyone's thoughts. Josh, you took last week off. You went to go see the big rat. We'll let you start. Uh, you were obviously back in time for the game. And what were your thoughts overall with last week's performance? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I got back in town Friday night in time uh, to experience the whole day on Saturday. So a couple of things about just the entire day. Number one, uh, best tailgate experience that we've ever had um, at Duke football. And so shout out to the hard hat guys um, and especially Matt, who does all the cooking and kind of organizes all that. Um, but we had a heck of a tailgate. Uh, several people showed up that are listeners uh, several parents and families of players showed up to hang out. And uh, so, I, you know, the game day experience, can we just start there? Game day experience was second to none. As Brian mentioned at DukeFootballTalk.com in our helmet stickers segment um, from Monday, shout out to the fans. Uh, we really expected to go into this game. We really expected this, the, the UNC fans to outnumber us, Duke fans. Um, and really, it was it was the exact opposite. I believe it was probably 60-40 Duke's way or 65-35 Duke's way uh, compared to what, what it could have been. And so shout out to the Duke fans who, got, who either had season tickets and showed up or who found tickets. The atmosphere was wonderful. Um, 
got to give a shout out to game day ops. I mean, everything went smoothly. The light show uh, beforehand was really cool as well. And there was just something about it, man, sitting in that, in that stadium with a packed house in a football game that matters, man, that hasn't happened in, in the last three years. That's for sure. And so you got to go back to Daniel Jones's uh, final season at Duke four years ago before we had a meaningful game at Wallace Wade like that. And so, uh, kudos to that. And then about the actual game. I mean, listen, tons of respect, tons of respect to that Tar Heel football team. Uh, Drake May is as advertised. I mean, the very first play of the game uh, was a 53-yard bomb uh, down the field. And so, man, I, but here's the thing. Uh, Duke took it on the chin there uh, at, at first, kind of got knocked back, but we held him to a field goal. And then I felt like we battled. We battled. 297 net rushing yards 297 we were debating last week guys do you remember this or you were actually you guys were i listened to the podcast and by the way shout out jordan man for coming on in my place but you guys were asking the question did miami just abandon the run or did unc stop the run well it's obvious miami just abandoned the run because we ran all over those boys and and riley leonard led the pack there especially with his uh, his his long touchdown run, but shout out Jordan Waters, shout out Jaquez Moore, shout out Terry Moore. Um, that that running back room, even without starting running back Jalen Coleman, really showed out. And so that's what I I kind of want to talk about uh, was that. Um, but yeah, overall, man, it was a great experience. When Jalen Calhoun caught that ball uh, down on our end in the fourth quarter, we really thought that we had that. Really thought the game was over. We didn't even see the flag. Uh, what was crazy, if you weren't at the game, they had already – the fireworks went off. Like, everything went off like we had scored. And uh, we really thought the game was over. Students had already started migrating down towards the gate to get on the field. So, everything was ready. And then, you know, uh, Coach Elko did say that he understands why that flag was thrown. Uh, but if you really look at the technicality of it, there was no – the, the 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 spirit of that of that rule that chop block rule is not what Duke was doing, um and so anyway but hey look rest did not cost us the game and Duke fans all over social media sure there were some questionable calls there were some questionable calls the other way too we talk about Dwayne Carter getting that rough in the passer call well we were the beneficiary of a rough in the passer call too that was that was very suspect so like they don't determine the outcomes of the game how about this how about we not give up a touchdown drive with a minute and 30 seconds to go in the first half. How about that one? How about we wrap up in the secondary on the final drive? <clears throat> cough, cough, won't say the DB's name that got burnt toast for 40-yard pass on the final drive. I'm done. Sorry, I had to get – Brian, I'm sorry. It was, I was out last week, man. I had, to, I had to just get this off my chest. All that to say, man, we love some Blue Devils. Go ahead, not only did go he, ahead Brian. Not, not, not only did he have to get his 15 minutes in this episode, but he had to equate for last – episode right. where he didn't talk so he tried to get 30 minutes in right that's there. right that's right hey that's that's and that's all i got to say about that look first and foremost sorry i know scott is in a church but go to hell carolina <laughs> you guys you guys suck and i don't care what anybody says but in in reality you know drake may is who we thought he was he's a very good quarterback and boy that next year I'm pretty sure Carolina is going to be rolling that Heisman hype train out. Uh, there even there's people talking now that he's even in the top, like in the top ten of odds now for Heisman, which he's he's definitely balling. Uh, I didn't think we did that bad of a job on May, but then I'm looking at the stats. He's like got 380 yards, three touchdowns, uh, 70 yards rushing, which we held him to under four yards of carry, so that wasn't terrible. But he 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 just he is what he is. Uh, rumor has it too that Dwayne Carter is still getting held, like right now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> they can't they can't keep him out of the backfield. They nobody can. We saw what came out today that uh, Dwayne Carter leads the ACC in uh, most QB pressures. So he's constantly – he's been living in the backfield, and he was doing it Saturday night against UNC. Uh, the only way they were stopping him was holding him. I mean, I think he finally got a flag or two, but it wasn't nearly the amount that should have been thrown. 
But once again, the refs did not lose that game. Uh, Riley Leonard was spectacular. The 74-yard run, man, Wallace Wade was absolutely just lit when, when he took off on that run. I mean, I, I don't know, once again, like in my helmet sticker uh, write-up, I don't know if the guys were making fun of him for running like a giraffe, but it sure did look like a thing of beauty from where we were sitting. He made some real clutch throws down the stretch to lead us back from the 31-21 deficit to get us the 35-31 lead. And unfortunately, one of his best throws of the night was called back the one touchdown that would have put us up 42-31 to and would have ended that, ended that game for all intents and purposes because it was two minutes left. I don't believe they could have scored twice. Uh, we missed a field goal down the stretch. It's, it is what it is. Things happen. And unfortunately, we came out on the losing end Saturday night. Yeah, the, the really bad thing, obviously, was that we lost the game. Uh, you know, never, ever want to lose to Chapel Hill College, no matter what. And unfortunately, they had one more play than we did. And that's what ended the game. I mean, like Josh said, you can't give up two touchdown drives at the end of both halves and expect to win a football game. Drake May lived up to his uh, hype. And Josh Downs, I think every last one of us would love to have him next year on Sundays on our team. That guy's unbelievable. And he wasn't even the one that burned us each time on the deep throws. But there was one catch he made, which was about the same spot on the field where Nicky Dalmolin made his catch. Almost about the same yard marker in the same exact spot in the same catch where they both high-pointed the football and extended it. And there was no way Brandon Johnson or whoever the defender was was going to get that football. It was just perfectly thrown. And one of the things that May used to his advantage was he kept pump-faking people as he was on the run. And, you know, with time, you'll under, you, you see that, you would have stopped it. Kid's unbelievable. Looking really, really looking forward to the May – Leonard Fest for the next two more seasons at least. Um, you know, Riley Leonard, great game. Dwayne Carter, great game. You know, Jordan Waters had a great game. The running back room was unbelievable. Again, that next man up mentality is exactly what we, Coach Kelko has been preaching since day one. Um, it did hurt, and I'm no excuse on how we got beat, but it did hurt that Speedy got hurt and didn't come out in the second half. In fact, Coach Elko mentioned, if nobody heard this or not, in the post-game presser, that he had no idea until somebody called on the on the headset, hey, Speedy's out for the rest of the game. So he had no idea starting the second half. But to be honest with you, I mean, Carolina won. They played well. Hallelujah, whatever. Now, Coach Shire, it's your turn. you got to beat Coach Davis twice this year. And we're not talking about that stuff, but still. But – Guys, I mean, the atmosphere was unbelievable. And that's what we want for a football game. We want a primetime slot where we want to be in the game. And, look, national TV, people were watching it. People were enjoying it. It was one, actually one of the better games of the day, too, with some of the national games. So, you know, we did what we could. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything that was said. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this right now. I, I'm not going to repeat what any of y'all said. I, I've had my own thoughts on a lot of things. One area, and I'm not going to mention any names, we got to improve the kicking game as we head into the latter half of the season. I don't know if it's just bad kicks. I don't know if it's bad snaps, but there were two occasions in this game to where we could have either tied the game or hypothetically been up three, even with that touchdown from UNC late in the game. But I don't like to play what ifs and, and whatnots, but, you know, I will say I, I gave my, my helmet sticker to the fans because of the turnout. That was our best turnout since 2018. I believe we played Notre Dame that year, didn't we? Or was it the UNC game or was it no, both? It was Notre Dame. Notre Dame, Notre Dame. was, was Notre the Dame. full sellout. Yeah, yeah. So the Notre Dame game, now, mind you, there was a lot of gold in the stands, but still, we had a great turnout. As I said it in my article right up, I'm going to say it tonight, and I hope you're listening. 
these next three weeks, we're gone. The team is gone. They're going at Miami. They're on the bye week, Halloween weekend. Then they're at Chestnut Hill, November 2nd. Folks, that's three weeks that this team does not play in Durham. And we all know what typically happens around this time, and I'm going to say it because it's true. What's happening Friday night? Countdown to craziness. And those, not so much fair weather fans, but those casual Duke fans that are an 80-20 split between football and basketball, they're going to be 100% into basketball. Folks, I, I got to tell you, we're only two wins away from bowl eligibility. And we have two home games left. We need as many butts in the seats for these last two home games because they're not pushovers. Yes, Virginia Tech, we've been, you know, joking about it and saying that they're not the, you know, Frank Beamer's team of the past. But as we've seen, Georgia Tech took advantage of the situation. They beat us. We thought that was an easy win. Then Wake comes into town, end of the year, last game. That seems to be our our new rivalry with Wake Forest. Do we have a shot at beating them? I'm just being honest, probably not. But if we need to have a home field advantage as much as possible, that is what's going to get this team over the hump. This is, I, I truly believe that having that many fans in the stands Saturday night got this team back into contention because a lot of folks were saying, had this been last year, and we're going to keep saying it, if it had been the Duke team for the last two years, the game would have been said and done once UNC went up, what was it, 10? 10, uh, yeah, 10 points. 31 21. Yeah, exactly. 10 points. So, again, fans, thank you for that. Refs, you know what? It is what it is. We move on. We can't do anything about it. Josh is now giving me the watch. No, it's payback, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my, I'm getting as much out as I can. My voice is slowly uh, disintegrating. But again, what it could have, should have, a great classic. Wish we could replay it. We can't. It's on to Miami. Jamie? And speaking to Brian's comments about the fans, um, a lot of people think that Wallace Wade is not a good home field advantage. Well, that's because people don't come out. But when they come out, I mean, you see it was a good home field advantage. Carolina got some penalties that were caused by the crowd. There was a lot of crowd noise. It kept the guys energized, I believe, throughout the night. Like Brian said, once we got down 31-21, the crowd was still into it. We scored a touchdown. We get back to thirty-one twenty-eight, and the crowd is really into it at that point. And it was just a—it was just a great atmosphere. But but really quickly, and Josh got very mad at this when we're driving on offense and we're trying to convert a first down. Don't cheer. Don't get loud. I really wish Riley Leonard pulled the old Peyton. Hey, hush. You know, <laughs> to weigh the fans off. But that's neither here nor there. I'd I'd rather we have noise than no noise at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and Brian, to your point, real quick about the kicking game, Coach Elko was uh, mentioned it today. I was asked about it today in his presser, and um, there was something with the with the snap and hold um, okay. because that 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 ball was not put down properly, and uh, he he did not say which it was, but I will say this, and I'm not saying this is Charlie. We're Charlie Ham fans. We love Charlie, but whatever it is, whether it's the whether it's the snap, the hold, or the kick. Like, we got to fix it because we can't have 42-yard field goals to go up seven in the fourth quarter. Miss like that. Second like, we can't have that. Yeah, we can't have that. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. So, anyway, um, but, yeah, uh, guys, I thought it was good thoughts. Um, Scott, you got cut off a little bit um, earlier. Are you, are you good? Anything else on that, the Carolina game? No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, it was great, the interaction between the fans. I thought the Carolina fans behaved until the very end. So we appreciate that part. And honestly, we were, we, meaning all everyone in Duke Blue, was ready to rush that field when he caught that touchdown pass in that corner. I hate that it didn't count, but it is what it is. Jamie was ready to roll down the stairs. <laughs> Shout out to the one Carolina fan. I don't know his name, but he's an idiot. I can tell you that. That was saying, Coach K can't save you now. Like, what if Coach K can't coach football? Oh, yes. Like, he's not going to save us. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we like, don't even dude, we don't like, even like Duke basketball. What are y'all <laughs> What are y'all talking about? Coach yeah. K can't save you now. Okay, good good job, good job to that Carolina fan. Congratulations. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's the perfect parting gift to UNC fans and the UNC team. We've got to move on. Again, tough loss. But as we say, the show goes on. 12:30, Valley Sports Saturday matchup down in Coral Gables in front of probably three to five hundred Miami fans. <laughs> and I uh, sorry, I just I had to say it. I'm just that guy. <laughs> and Jamie had a, a chance to sit down with Jim Zagecki. He is the play-by-play announcer for Miami. You tried to get him last year, and our schedules Joe. couldn't coordinate. So this is the – what's that, Scott? Joe. Joe Zagecki. Joe, I'm sorry. See, I knew I was going to mess it up somehow. Joe Zagecki. Joe you Jim. just call him Joe Z. Joe Z. There we go. See? All right. There we go. But, yeah, Jamie had a chance to sit down with Joe. It's his first time on the Section 17 podcast as he broke down this year's Miami team. We're joined now by Joe Zagaki, the voice of the Miami Hurricanes. Joe will be on the call for the Hurricanes this Saturday in Miami as they take on Duke. Joe, thanks for coming on to the Section 17 podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. Let's get started. How big of a hire was Mario Cristobal for Miami, seeing as he is a former Canes player who has also won two championships as a player? Yeah, I think it's probably the biggest hire that Miami's made in the last 20 years. They hope it has the biggest impact in the last 20 years. It's a hire that everybody wanted. The fan base wanted it. The administration wanted it. Uh, They made it happen. They put a lot of money into it, a lot of resources into it. Uh, Probably not going as as smoothly record-wise as everybody thought, but Mario uh, doesn't have a magic wand. And this is going to take – it's a little bit of a process for him to, to work through this and It'll be more meaningful. His hire will be more meaningful when the roster becomes more meaningful. Honestly, I feel like Miami is like that sleeping giant, right? They're they're sitting there. Yeah. It's been it's been a while, but it's it's like right there. And I think I really do think Cristobal will have them pointed in the right direction sooner rather than later. It all comes down to player, you know, your player personnel. It comes down to recruiting. And Mario Cristobal, when he left Miami. He went to Alabama and he came here and he's kind of the guy that you know we, we've talked about uh, putting the fence up around our area of uh, Dade and Broward of South Florida, right? The old Howard Schnellenberger put the fence up. Mario is the guy who knocked the fence down. So now he's got to put the fence back up around this area. That being said, that being said, I think one of the, the tougher things for the University of Miami has been uh, South Florida is loaded with, with high school players. It's like uh you know, Duke basketball trying to just get local players, right? Well, you can survive on that for, for a little while, but you've got a national brand and there are great players across the country. You also have to attract those guys. And that's been kind of the, the dilemma for Miami, uh, where to where to put their resources and their assets to get the players to come here. Do you put them all in for South Florida? Or do you remember that Ken Dorsey came from California, Ed Reed came from Louisiana, and Jerry Mishaki came from Oklahoma? And I think Mario knows how to, to, to balance that out. The Hurricanes are currently sitting at 3-3, three and three, and many folks had them tabbed as Coastal Division favorites heading into the season. What have been some hurdles for the team to overcome so far this year? Yeah, been a couple of things. One, there are always high expectations for the University of Miami. And I'm not sure that the roster – uh, meets the expectations. But then more specifically on the field, their offense with Tyler Van Dyke and just the offense in general uh, really struggled. And I think that was partly because uh, for Van Dyke, um, he had a couple of things in play there. One, after one year, I think he realized, oh, wait a minute, this whole program is riding on my shoulders now. And he was hyped that way in the offseason. Yet he only had nine starts coming in. And all the hype was on Van Dyke. Then you had that little sidebar issue of NIL, the first time guys are receiving money. So he was getting money from the NIL. How is he handling that, handling his time? Then you got a new offensive coordinator with a new system and a new head coach that wants to run the football. And I told everybody, Van Dyke to me was a little bit like Dan Marino. Don Shula always said, we got to give you a running game. We got to give you a running game. And Marino's response to that, I think most of the time was, yeah, I'm good. I've got a right arm. I can throw the ball. And Van Dyke, I think kind of the same way. Running game? Okay, yeah, I hear you. But I want to throw the ball. And we know you have to have some complimentary football. So I think Van Dyke and Josh Gaddis and Mario Cristobal, we're all trying to find the, the right spot here. What's the right uh, thing? And then, of course, uh, so the last two weeks he's been really good. 
But now Miami's dealing with a bunch of injuries. And they went out there in the final drive against Virginia Tech. And I looked out there and I'm like, who, who are these guys? They had probably from training camp to that last drive of Virginia Tech, I think I counted they were down 12 offensive players. So uh, injuries have become an issue. And then defensively, kind of the same thing. Maybe not as, not as an aggressive defense as under Manny Diaz. Problem is breaking some old habits, and they gave up way, way too many big plays. Looking ahead now to Saturday's game against Duke. It's a 12:30 kickoff on Bally Sports. We wanted to have you fill in the blank on some statements when it comes to this Miami team. An area this Miami team will excel at on the field Saturday is the air game. Van Dyke threw for nearly 400 yards last year against Duke. And what's interesting to note, he's thrown for 300 yards in every ACC game that he's been involved in. He's eight for eight against Carolina and Virginia Tech repeat games this year. He matched last year's total pretty much this year. So if he matches last year's total against Duke on Saturday, that'll be good for Miami. So the air game. Right. That 496 yards he put up against Carolina was was eye-opening for sure. Yeah. 42 completions in that game. The most ever in the history of Miami football. Yeah, I think he you know, threw fifty-seven times and yeah. completed forty-two of them. It was it was crazy, right? Uh, and still lost. Yeah, unfortunately, we wanted we wanted y'all to beat Carolina. So, yeah, so. I understand that <laughs> Carolina to you is what Florida is to us. Exactly. Duke fans need to watch out for blank on Miami Saturday. Hmm. Can I give you more than one? Yes, sir. Colby Young, where's number eighty-eight? Just kind of was dropped out of a out of the sky onto the Miami practice field, like the first or second week of training camp. Didn't play until the Carolina game. Has had twelve catches in the last two games. Six foot five, two hundred fifteen pound sophomore receiver. He's made the passing game look. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's, he's looked like Michael Irvin. So uh, he's made great catches. I, I think he's going to be a real problem. And then uh, James Williams on defense. 6'5", 215-pound sophomore safety, dropping down the box, plays linebacker, plays safety, uh, runs down on special teams, does everything except sell popcorn, probably has an S on his chest underneath his uh, shoulder pad. So those two guys can really tilt the odds toward Miami. Okay. Miami will win its third in a row against Duke if they make Duke one-dimensional, don't let him run the football, play great red zone defense, and finally force Duke to fumble the ball. Right. We've been we've been good at winning the turnover battle. Yeah. All you Coach Elko really preached that when he came in and, and they've really, really done that. Sooner or later they gotta cough that ball up, right? <laughs> uh, we hope not. <laughs> Duke wins its first game against Miami since 2019 if if they run for 200 yards, hit a big play, and Miami has 18 penalties like they did last week against uh, against Virginia Tech. And like they did in 2000, when they had the eight lateral game, I think Miami had 21 penalties against Duke. So Duke wins if, um, if they if – Duke wins if they're able to be true to their identity, run the football, protect the ball, take time off the clock, and then force Miami, keep everything uh, with Miami in front of them, don't give up big plays. And frustrate Miami, force Miami to to beat Miami. Right, and that was our that was our game plan going in against UNC last week as well. And it we tried to keep Drake May off the field, but it's really hard to keep that guy off the field. And when he's on there, he's he's crazy. And I know Tyler Van Dyke is is the same type player. You, you didn't get any help at the end of the game from the men in stripes. <laughs> no, no, we did not. We're glad somebody else noticed it. Oh no, I notice it every week. Trust me. <laughs> Last one, Miami writes the ship and gets to a bowl game If Mar- in Mario Cristobal's first year if? If they have success in the next three weeks. They've got Duke, Virginia, and Florida State. And if they can pull together and win those games, maybe four, Georgia Tech after that. And the reason I say that is I think they're starting to get better. I think the, the coaching that they're getting is starting to take effect with the players. The, 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 they are improving. They are playing better than what they played earlier in the year. Uh, the big question is going to be, do they get all their players back healthy? If they get everybody back healthy, especially on offense, that would mean Will Mowry is back 
and Michael Redding is back, and Brashard Smith and Jacoby George, uh, Don Chaney, and Xavier Restrepo. They get all those guys back for November. They got a chance to be re really special, but they got to weather the storm for the next two or three weeks. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the Section 17 podcast. Good luck in Saturday's game and the rest of the Hurricanes season. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And our thanks again to Joe Zagecki sitting down with uh, Jamie Holt. Uh, I believe we will not be playing Miami with the new 355 schedule for a couple of years now. They're one of the teams that we will uh, take a break with. So if there was ever a time for us to get a win on Miami and let it simmer a little bit, it would be this Saturday. But we're going to transition now to one of our newest segments that we kind of just birthed one night, and it seems to be working well, and we're going to keep it going. Josh, with a weird look, I know. Wait, we, we birthed it one night? <laughs> yeah, we birthed it. We created it. You know what? I, I'm, I'm not feeling 100%, and Josh is just giving me grief. So, folks, have a good laugh at this. Um, but anyway. Right, you, I, the, the question begs me is, who did you birth with? Did you, anybody... <laughs> Sorry. All right, Jamie, go ahead, man. Who Take birthed it? it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian cuddled pretty close in Wallace Wade. So. <laughs> It was not raining, though, Saturday in, in night. Fr in front of his wife at that. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. We're running off the tracks here. All right, Jamie, let's uh, <laughs> let's get back to it. Uh, we actually had a lot of fan interaction uh, over the weekend looking ahead to Miami. So get us rolling with the first question. I'm going to start on Twitter. Uh, Bull City Coordinators at Duke FB. Coverage. It's coverage. It's, yeah, it's Ben. ben. Everyone knows ben? ben. We know Ben. Why has Miami struggled so much this year? Is it coaching? Mm. So here, here's my here's my let, let me can I parallel program? Virginia. I almost think it's best when a program is all the way at the bottom like Duke was. So a, a man like Mike Elko comes into Durham and everybody knows, even the people that love the former coach, they know everything needs to change. Everything from the from the top all the way down, everything needs to change. When you have a guy like Bronco Mendenhall leave Virginia at six and six, they're, they're not convinced that it's broken, right? So then you have a guy like Tony Elliott come in and he tries to do certain things and he struggles. Well, it was the same thing in, in Miami. That was not broken down there. It was not all the way at the bottom. And so Cristobal's got to take some time and I think he's doing okay. He knows he probably can't implement 100% of what he wants to implement right now because they still have that culture. And so... I think that's part of it. I, I don't. I don't blame Cristobal. I don't blame. There's no blame here. It's just the fact that he took over something that was decently put together, and it's really hard to come in and like culture change something that was decently put together. That's just my thoughts on. It. I could be way off. That's just my opinion on that, Scott. Well, you know, Joe kind of referenced in the interview that uh, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, up until the last two weeks, was struggling, and he's now starting to get a little bit better in the system. So I think that's a lot of it. I think it, it could be just a little bit different, different system than what Manny Diaz had um, with that group. And, you know, new coaches, new things. And like you said, with, with Duke, for example, new coaches and everything, they bought into the system. These guys have started like, you know, first grade all over again and started from scratch to get where we're at now. Well, I think Cristobal also has to – he kind of has to clean up a bit of a mess. I mean, Miami's Miami is a sleeping giant. Let's be honest, um, but they haven't been as advertised what we thought we were going to get in the ACC. We got an ACC championship from them in basketball, but we haven't gotten the Miami powerhouse that we thought we were going to get. So, any any other thoughts, Brian? Well, I mean, you say it's a mess, but I just looked and. Um... Manny Diaz's three years, he went six and six, eight and three, and seven and five. To Duke fans, that's a contract extension for 10 years for Mike Elko. Yep. But I know yeah. Miami and Miami fans are a different breed. No, like, you're right. You're right, Brian. That's what I was saying. Like, that was not broken down there. Yeah. It was not broken. And so, like, I think it's difficult, man. It's tough for these coaches to come in here. Look, seven and five is a successful season. Like, I mean, I, uh, maybe not up to their standards, but man, I think it's difficult on a new coach. And so I think I think we're seeing it. Like I said, I think we saw it in Virginia. I think we're seeing it in Miami. And so and like we like we said about Virginia, they're gonna they're gonna figure it out at some point. 
Miami's it, gonna figure it out at some point. It's not that easy to recruit at Miami either. Like not as easy as you might think it might be. Uh, the home field advantage. I mean, there's nothing. Like literally, Brian said, there's gonna be what a thousand people there. Right. You know, I'm gonna say that, and we're I'm gonna jinx it. It's gonna be like a packed house. You look like a UCLA home game at the Rose Bowl. All right, moving on. What's our next question? Uh, at Blue Devil Two K Ten, he asks, "Do we think the Miami secondary will play with more motivation slash focus on our wide receivers? I mean, especially seeing they got pretty torched against." Carolina, he didn't say that, but that's kind of me adding. And they got pretty torched against against Carolina, which a lot of people have. But I mean, to me, I, go ahead, Scott. No, I was going to say to me, it's another situation like Coach Elko mentioned today. Their D line is bigger than Carolina's D line. Their D line is faster than most guys in the league. So I think that's one of the things that we're going to see a bigger, faster, stronger line, and you know the more Riley has to run for his life, the easier it may be for the secondary in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, I don't know that you can just flip a switch. I mean, I, I don't know. The, 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 it kind of is what it is. It's like Duke's secondary. Duke's secondary is what it is. I mean, we, we can play good and play bad, but, like, at the end of the day, we are about a middle-of-the-road secondary, and that, that's, not, that's no criticism. Let me just say this. Seven games in, if you'd have told me I would have said Duke's secondary is middle-of-the-road at the beginning of the season – I'd have been like, I'll take it. I'll take a middle of the road secondary. So I think Miami secondary is what it is. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, Drake May and Riley Leonard are two different quarterbacks. And 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 obviously Kevin Johnson, Phil Longo have two different systems. Uh, but hey, if 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 uh May saw success against them, I don't see why Riley can't see success against them as well. And then you add the fact that we have a much better running game than UNC does. So I think we're just in that sense, we're more balanced than they are on offense. And so, I mean, I definitely look to see us put some points on the board for sure. Next. Our next question comes from Sam at LA Dodgers all day, who asked good questions pretty much each and every well, week. Now he, has, now he has time because he doesn't have to focus on baseball. Right. Oh, no. Oh, hey, hey, for the record, that was Josh, not me. <laughs> and I don't even care that much about baseball, Sam. I'm sorry. Which is more likely this game plays out like UVA or UNC? Wow. I would I would say UNC. I think up. both offenses can move the ball up and down the field. Yeah, Depends I agree. Who wins the coin toss? No, I was gonna say, you know, yeah. no, I apologize. I was gonna say the same thing I said last week. And it's a true statement. The first three drives of the game will tell you what Duke's gonna do. And it's been, it's been the truth so far all season. Saturday night, went right down the field, scored. Carolina went right down the field and scored too. But the first 15 plays, we have success. It continues to grow. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a lot like the Carolina game. I think we need to extend long drives, keep Van Dyke over there on the sideline because he's starting to play much better just like Joe mentioned in the interview before. So if we, the, the more we keep him on the sideline, the better. I I'm to the point of saying, I don't know what to expect because we thought going in, I mean, I mean, honestly, we thought going into Virginia was going to be a close game. We jumped out 21, nothing. We thought right. the Georgia tech game, we were going to go down there and demolish them. They go and defeat mm -hmm. us. I really think the UNC game was the first game that we truly got it right as far as what to expect it was going to be a shootout it was going to go back and forth whoever had the ball last was going to win so it just depends on one what duke team shows up is it the first half duke team or the second half duke team but two is it going to be the miami team that we saw playing against unc or the miami team that we've seen playing against other schools early in the season where it's like that's the miami team that we were projecting to be the coastal champions before the season started all right, the next question, I'm going to move down a little bit. Sam had a second question that's kind of similar to this one right here, so I'm going to move down to this one. At Splash Obi. That's uh, that's my nephew, Tyler, I believe. Yep. Yeah, he was okay. at the game this weekend. I had no idea that was Tyler. There you go. Hello, Tyler. <laughs> First time 
Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> Do you think we will be mentally and emotionally prepared to go to Miami after the past two weeks? Wow. So that question was somewhat asked um, after the game to Dwayne Carter. Um, and Dwayne Carter, like very, and you know, Dwayne has a big personality and he loves answering questions and talking, which we love, uh, by the way. But um, he was asked that question, basically, how do you think this team will respond? And he's like, with 110% effort, like there's no question how this team's going to respond. And I think at the end of the day, you have your three captains that are leading the way on that. And then I think you add Riley Leonard uh, and his determination into that. And as Coach Elko said, can we stop asking? And I'm not saying this to Tyler, but can we stop asking about these guys, this guy's effort? Because the effort's going to be there. Like, this is not last year's team. So the effort is going to be there. I think Tyler's question is more – you know, like is is the is at the end of the day just losing close games and losing close games. Does that end up wearing on you? And I think that is a possibility. You know, two games, two weeks in a row, losing by three points at the very end of the game, of course. But I think they're going to come out punching very hard. I I hate to recollect on this, but remember what happened in fifteen after the Miami game. The season just completely plummeted. I mean, it was just such a demoralizing defeat. It was almost like the coaching staff didn't know what to say to the team to get them back on track. I think different coaching staff, different situation. This was just a, a bitter loss, but I also know Coach Elko, and, and to your point, Josh, these kids are going to fight all four quarters. We've seen that time and again, whether we're up, whether we're down, whether we're tied, they're going to give it their all for all four quarters. And I, I personally think they'll be ready. The question is, if they get down early, can we get back into it like we've seen the last two weeks? Yeah, the the old cliche holds true. You cannot have Georgia Tech and Carolina beat you twice. This is yeah. Miami game. You got to be ready for Miami. Yeah, I feel like this staff will have them completely ready for Miami, and they're going to be today. They shifted their attention to Miami, and that was and Carolina's in the rearview mirror. So I feel like we're in a different era of Duke football now. Where last couple of years that game beats us for the next several weeks and. We end up four and eight, but this year I feel like we can get down to Miami and get a victory and get to five and three. Uh, at B Mueller one three three has a real good question, and actually Joe mentioned this in the interview as well. It appears that Miami is at least as banged up or more banged up than we are, injury wise. Are there areas where we can exploit that? Yes, <laughs> Scott. I would say yes. Do we do we have a report? Do, do we have like a a list of their injuries? Um, I do not. I'm sorry. No, I do I, know I, that. I, would, um, I wasn't throwing that. At you. I was just asking. No, but you know something that I didn't get asked today, and just as a side note, nobody asked about Nelson. He never gave an update on Nelson today. No, he didn't. He didn't. Or he Trey actually Freeman. didn't give an injury update until he was asked. So I don't think he was ready for that. Uh, right. I, I will say this. I do know that Miami's had some uh, injuries on the, on the wide receiving room. Yes. Um, because and Joe mentioned they, that also. Yeah, they're pretty deep uh, there. So I know they've had some injuries there. Um, I mean, listen, anytime, anytime a team has injuries, I feel like you can't exploit that. I mean, think about this. If, if Speedy Young does not go for us on Saturday, that means Chandler Rivers bumps over to that starting DB spot, cornerback spot. And that means legitimately we have no depth. And I'm not I'm not being critical of anyone else on that roster. But if if we lose Speedy Young and we and Chandler goes over there as a true freshman and plays that other cornerback opposite of Josh Pickett, we do not, we have no two deep. Like that was proven again this past Saturday. So I think there was one more important question, Jamie. Uh, that, that you've yet to ask, and, and we got to make sure we ask it. We'll do two more. All right. Because uh, shout out to Levi Haynes here. Oh, he Levi. Got a chance to, yeah. We yeah. got a chance to meet Levi and his girlfriend on uh, on Saturday. Josh thought he was 14. I was like, man, how old are you? He said, about to turn 21. I'm like, my yeah. dude, man. <laughs> Levi says, I hate Miami. So what can we do to go to Miami and deliver on both sides of the ball? Listen, it's bouncing back. At the, listen, this game is going to tell us – I'm not saying if we lose this game, the season's over. 
But I'm saying how we come out and play this game, it's going to tell us how the rest of the season is going to go. If we come out and lay an egg, then I don't I don't have any any faith that we're going to go to the bowl, do a bowl game. But if we come in here and fight, then I mean it's just going to show you exactly what we think what we think we believe about this team, and that's what we just talked about. Is that effort's going to be there? Don't abandon the run. Yep. Contain TVD. Tyler Van Dyke, who I predicted to be the player of the year, but that's fallen on deaf ears. Um, and passing, exploit the, their secondary, and 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 don't make mistakes in the in the special teams, kicking game, return game. Just don't make mistakes there. I agree with everything y'all just said, but one thing to watch out for with Miami is to watch out for their tight ends. That Mallory is one of the best tight ends in the country. And TVD loves to throw the short passes to him. And that is a big, stinking boy. They've always been able to produce some um, big tight ends. Shout out Greg Olson, Carolina. Oh, God. Knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, all right, Jamie, we could run all night long. No, this is important. This is an important one. Yeah, the most important one. Let's, let's end on this one. Drew Cheshire, friend of the pod. Yes. Which section 17 guy is Crockett and which is Tubbs? I don't know. Okay. Jamie to me is Crockett because of the boat. And I can see Jamie with a pet alligator named Elvis. <laughs> I tried to get a pet alligator, but I got shot down. So was... the, the CFO and the family wouldn't let you do it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me, uh, if, if we're going to hold off on answering the tubs question, I'm going to flip that question around and ask a different version. Which one of us is Mike Lowry and which one of us is Marcus Burnett for the bad boys? I, I want to be Marcus, man. I, I want I want to be Marcus in a bad way. I want to be Mike Lowry just because I'd like to slap somebody. <laughs> oh wait, that, that was that was not in his character. That was just Will Smith. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love to it. Miami. Yeah, bienvenidos a Miami. <laughs> a Miami. Uh, I love it. Well, listen, um, that's enough about the Miami game. We are uh, looking forward to it, like like Brian said earlier, twelve thirty this Saturday, Valley Sports, um, and so uh, I will again, be at Tobacco Road in Durham. If anyone wants to join me, there we go. Brian will be at Tobacco Road. If I will you, be at the if beach. You like Brian? You know, are looking for a place to watch the game. Um, and by the way, you can send us all the ats you want, and we're we're not going to be able to really help you find a way to watch that game if you don't have a Spectrum login or a regular Spectrum account. So just is what it is uh we are moving on to our new segment the not yet sponsored this week in duke football history scott take it away all right so this week in duke football history we're going to go way back again because that's where we like to go we'll go to october 21st 1950 quarterback tom powers would set the all-time duke record for most touchdowns and points scored in a single game Playing on the road against the Richmond Spiders, Powers would score 36 of the 41 Duke points would score that day. The six touchdowns Powers would score, along with the 36 points, are both records still to this day in the Duke record books. Powers would go on and play for the in the NFL for what used to be the Washington Commander Skins and would later work at the Department of Labor under the Kennedy administration. And that's this week in Duke football history. Wait, wait a second, wait a second. 36 points. What? 6, 12, 8. Oh. Six Am times I missing six. something? Was he also the kicker? Six times six is 36, man. Yeah, six. six he didn't kick, yeah. And this is why I'm not in math. I'm not in <laughs> I, I saw something today. I was at I was at the uh at the stadium. Maybe I have I just whiffed on this forever. I had no clue. Speaking of this week, this is a this year in Duke football history. In 1938, we went undefeated, unscored on. Yeah, in an entire season. It's I right when you walk out of the elevator. Points. You you never saw that before. I never I never noticed it. 1938. I'm pretty sure they up. didn't give up points until the bowl game, where they lost a bowl yeah. game. Okay, I believe. Yeah, man. Shout out to Peter Dodge, man. 1938 Duke team. Right. And, uh, wait, wait, wait. 38. So we would have gone to. The, was that the 39 Rose Bowl? Maybe I have no yes, idea. I think bro. so. Yeah, I think so. saw this on the wall. Yeah, we're going way back in time. Because yeah, they, so probably, anyway, they probably would have won the championship had they won that bowl game. So, And, and Peter would know, by the way. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks, Scott, for this week in Duke football history. Some scoring uh, put up there, all-time records that are still standing. 
uh, here at Duke. Um, we're going to head into our tell of the tape uh, with Brian. But before we go into the tell of the tape, it is sponsored by our friends at Comfort Mechanical Contractors. And here's a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, Brian here with the Section 17 podcast. Quick question for you. What do Duke, North Carolina Central, and the Durham Public School Systems have in common? Well, they all have their heating and air service work done by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Comfort Mechanical Contractors offers full-service commercial HVAC organization, as well as install work for new construction and commercial renovation. With their full fleet of service vehicles at the ready, Comfort Mechanical Contractors is equipped to handle service calls, as well as install building automation and control systems. For more information, give Comfort Mechanical Contractors a call at 919 the Durham Public School Systems have in common. Well, they all have their heating and air service work done by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Comfort Mechanical Contractors offers full-service commercial HVAC organization, as well as install work for new construction and commercial renovation. With their full fleet of service vehicles at the ready, Comfort Mechanical Contractors is equipped to handle service calls, as well as install building automation and control systems. For more information, give Comfort Mechanical Contractors a call at 919-383-2502. That number again, 919-383-2502. Comfort Mechanical Contractors, the premier commercial heating and air service contractor of the Triangle. And our thanks, as always, to Comfort Mechanical Contractors. This has been a great relationship so far this season. Looking forward to continuing that relationship on into the 2023 season. But as I said, they are the sponsor for the tail of the tape for the Miami Hurricanes this week out of the ACC Conference. Last year, Miami went 7-5, and five, and they were going to play against Washington State in the Sun Bowl, but the Hurricanes withdrew from the game due to COVID concerns. Now, currently, Miami is 3-3, three and three, and last week they defeated Virginia Tech 20-14. to 14. Head coach Mario Cristobal is in his first season as the Miami head coach, and before coming to Miami, Cristobal was the head coach at Oregon from 2018 to 2021, and Cristobal has an overall head coaching record of 65-63. and 63. Now, Overall, this is the 20th matchup all-time between Duke and Miami, with Miami leading the series matchup pretty heftily, 15 to four. The first game between the two schools took place back on October 9th, 1976 in Miami, where Duke defeated the Hurricanes 20 to seven. And the two schools have played each other every year since 2005. And since this time, Miami has won 14 of the 17 matchups against Duke. Boy, would we love to put an exclamation point on this rivalry. And the Hurricanes are currently on a two-game winning streak against Duke, with Duke's last victory coming in 2019, where they won 27-17. Now it's time for the Did You Know. Sebastian the Ibis has been the mascot for the University of Miami for close to 70 years, but was not the first Miami mascot. The first official mascot for Miami was a 65-pound boxer dog named Hurricane One. The canine who was chosen as the school's official mascot in 1950 would wear orange and green with its name in white on a blanket during Hurricanes games. It wasn't until 1957 when San Sebastian Hall, a residence hall on campus, sponsored an IBIS entry in the annual homecoming celebration. The IBIS entry was the brainchild of Norman or Normal Witten, who was the director of the student union at that time. It wasn't until the following year in 1958 when student John Storman started performing at games in an Ibis costume that was glued, sewn, and pinned together. Storman later admitted that the whole costume cost $30 to make and took about three weeks to construct. The Ibis mascot was originally called Icky, but was later renamed Sebastian in honor of San Sebastian Hall, where Storman was a resident. Through the years, the Ibis has become one of the most recognizable college mascots in the United States and continues to lead the team out of the tunnel during the Hurricanes football season. And that was the tell of the tape for the Miami Hurricanes brought to you by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Thank you, Brian, that annoying bird down there in Miami. Um, but uh, it, listen, he, he's you got to give it to him. At least he shows up to all the home games. And so, more, uh, that's... more annoying, the Ibis or the fans? Oh, Ooh. That's a tough one. great question. Great. That's a 6540. Exactly. Well, last week, you guys, uh, many of you gave us your predictions for the score of the Duke UNC game. Obviously, 
It did not go the way we wanted it to go, but we did have several of you uh, at least pick uh, UNC uh, to win this game. And so, uh, Brian, I believe we have some winners to share. Yeah, our mailman's going to be back at work this week. Uh, we did have some folks pick. They actually, I will say this. They actually picked the right score on the nose, but the wrong team. They picked ah. Duke to win 38-35. to 35. So, folks, sorry you don't win. You didn't pick the winner. So, on Facebook, Miss Regina Lee, she picked UNC to win 38-31. to 31, So, she got UNC score on the nose. And then on Twitter, one of our longtime followers, Big Papa RV, at Big Papa RV, he predicted UNC to win 38-27. to 27. So, he also got UNC score on the nose. So, folks, you will both be receiving a Bleed Blue shirt, and we will be reaching out to you later this week. Yes, we're just glad Great Day Tario did not win. So, uh, <laughs> we actually have really good interaction with him, whoever runs that account, him, her. Well, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, so this week, here we go. We're heading down uh, to South Florida. It's going to be a hot one down there, I'm sure. And uh, we're on the road. So we're going to find out what we think. The final score will be who the winner will be and what we're going to be wearing. Do we have the over under for this game? Anybody? I'm, I'm working. Scott's working 59, 59 and a half. 59 and a half on the over under. All right. And it has gone up. This line has gone up since this morning. It was eight this morning. Now it's back up to nine and a half for Miami. Man, that's, Vegas that's, just toying with us. Disrespectful. It, it, I did it really last week is. too. It really is. I mean, you can't. You can't. Nothing could be determined about Miami based upon last week. They played Virginia Tech. Like only God knows. I mean, anyway, uh, I digress. Who wants to go first? Who wants to kick us off? I'll go. I'll go first because I got the combination right. Or and should I, I go first because I was the only one bold enough to pick UNC last week? But go ahead. Nah, we'll, we'll, we'll call it even. No, I, I think we all forgot to mention how oh. awesome were those helmets. How yes. awesome were those helmets? Fantastic. King, thank you for listening to me when we talk. Incredible. Talked. <laughs> Incredible. Number, oh, eight, and, number eight on the Uniswag list, sure. which I think was low, but still made the list. And, and if you're one of those fans who thinks we need to retire the jersey because we lost. This just isn't stop. basketball. Yeah, just stop. Clothes don't make the man. The man make it the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, Miami game. This was actually one I predicted that we would lose, but again, it was a team, a different team that I thought we would be playing right now. I, I got, I'm going to change it at this point. I'm losing the predictions anyway. Um, I think we're going to go down there. We're going to have a chip on our shoulder from the last two weeks. I think we can contain TVD if we stick to our game plan, both offensively and defensively. Scott, what did you say the over-under was? 59 and a half. 59 and a half. I'm going to say Duke's going to win 31 to 21. And I think Miami is going to probably go orange, black, whatever. They've got so many combinations, I don't really care. Duke's probably just going to go traditional white out with the blue D on the helmet. All white, blue D. Go Duke. Let's get that win. One win away from the bowl eligibility. Who's next? I'll go. TBD really kind of had his way with us last year. But that was last year. This is this year. I feel like we can contain him like Brian said. He's not a big threat to run the football, which is a good thing. So we don't have to worry about him like we did Drake May trying to keep him in, in the pocket. He's going to stay in the pocket and he's going to chunk the ball all over the yard. That's what he wants to do, and that's what he will do. Um, I'm going to go – I think Duke bounces back as well. I think the team shows the heart. And Duke 31, Miami 27. Uniforms, I'll go white helmet with a blue D, white jersey, blue pants. I could see that. All right. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a defensive struggle. I could be wrong. Um, even though I know we've talked about us being able to move the ball against them, so I'm kind of contradicting myself, but oh well. I'm going to go Duke 24, Miami 
Miami 21. Yeah, 24 21. That's where I'm going to go. And I believe Duke is going to go blue helmet with the D white, white. Blue, white, white. I think they did that last time they were in Miami, too. Yeah. I wish they'd just yeah. go white, white, white. The icy white all the way, but they're not going to do that all the time. So, Scott. All right. Well, obviously, another team that I hate so stinking much. Corn Elder's knee was down that night. The guy in front of us should have got his head bashed in for all the junk he talked to all us Duke fans while they reviewed that mess. I hate Sebastian the Ibis. I hate the U. I hate everything about Miami, except for Bad Boys movie. I love those. Other than that, though, let's be honest. Um, I did pick Miami to win uh, in the preseason, but I'm not picking them on here. Can't do it. I'm a homer. We don't pick the other team, except for Josh does it every now and then. The rest of us stay true to our colors, which, speaking of true to our colors, um, I I am fighting between both of Brian and Jamie's answers, but I'm going to go with the icy white all the way with the blue D on the helmet. And for score, now there again, last week at halftime, we were discussing how we didn't know if they were going to hit the over-under. And they, they snuck it in there on us, just for the record. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to say 30, no, let's say 28 to 24 Blue Devils. Um, I think since we're trying to get over this moral victory mess, we make a defensive stand at the end to win the ball game. And the hundreds and hundreds of Miami fans go home sad. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're four and zero this week, all picking Duke uh, to win this Saturday. And so keep your eyes open on Wednesday. We'll post on Twitter to get and Facebook uh, to get your reaction or your or sorry your opinion on who's going to win, what's the score going to be, and hey, if you want to throw in the uniform combination, uh, go right ahead. And so we're looking forward to that. Like I said on Wednesday, keep your eyes on social media. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things we'd like to go over real quick. If you've not yet been to our website, dukefootballtalk.com, uh, that's the hub where you can find anything and everything that you need. Five deep articles. Last week, we were able to talk to Riley Leonard. We'll have a new five deep article up for you this week. Uh, our helmet stickers from this past uh, Saturday's game uh, against UNC. Uh, a good article to read there. And then, obviously, uh, these podcast episodes – um, as they drop, can be found there. You can find us on Twitter um, at Duke FB Talk. We interact quite a bit there, and our Twitter account gets a lot of interaction. So make sure you uh, follow us there if you don't already. And then on Facebook, you can just search Duke Football Talk. We are approaching, guys. We're getting very close to the 1,000 mark in our Facebook group. And so uh, I believe we're over 975 or something like that uh, currently. And so uh, do that. And then five star ratings. If you feel like that we provide you good content here. We try to keep you entertained as well as, as best we can. If you feel like we give you good content, would you be willing to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple and then a review there on Apple? Um, if we've earned it, if we've not earned it, uh, then don't. But if we have, we would appreciate it. So, Scott. Uh, let me take this time real fast um, to give a quick shout-out to Richard. That is Ben, Bull City Coordinator's father, who's going through a tough time. Uh, with the health issue. Uh, we just want to let him know we're praying for him, praying for the family. Uh, ben, you know, we hope that he gets better. I know that would make you happy and the family happy. But uh, those of you, if you can, go see uh, Bull City's uh, tweet about it mm-hmm. and send a message to his father, please. I think his dad would really appreciate it. Uh, big Duke fan, obviously. And Ben's a good guy. And this is, you know, this is one of our people. So, yeah, it's uh, something that's – I mean, I, he posted on Twitter, so it was a cancer diagnosis for his dad. Uh, it's something that is uh, – we've all gone through with a family member, uh, you know, and it, it just – cancer sucks. That's all we can yeah. say. And mm-hmm. so, to Scott's point, uh, go find that tweet from Ben. Uh, he sent a quick video. And He's trying I'll to – I'll tell you something. what, uh, this will release This will release on Tuesday morning. Yeah. We'll make sure we retweet it throughout the day on Tuesday as well, uh, at least once or twice, so that you guys – Get your eyes on that. 
Yeah. So again, Ben, we're thinking about you, buddy, uh, you and your family. Uh, but again, I, I mean, thanks Scott for bringing that up. That was one thing that I was wanting to mention. So great minds think alike, but what better way uh, to help Ben out and help his family, you know, get through this within a win on Saturday. That's what we're all looking for. And we're hoping uh, that the boys can bring it home. So I think this is a, a great stopping point. We want to thank you all for listening again to another episode of the Duke football talk section 17 podcast. We will be back next week, even though the bye week is coming up to uh, give our thoughts about Miami. And we might have a special guest yes on the episode we may have an interview next week we're working on it right now and uh it's it's a guy that that you may not recognize on the duke on the field yet for duke but he may possibly be the most interesting man on the roster that's the teaser dun dum. what a what a great way to uh you know tease everyone right there josh <laughs> we're, uh, it's still not confirmed we're still working on it so so who knows? We might have something we not we might not. But with that being said, for Josh Cox, for Jamie Holt, for Scott Medlin, and our producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. Let's go. Now turn the music up. Yeah.